Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, continues laying out his case against preterism, the belief that all Bible prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD. Our website, swrc.com, now has over 900 items designed to educate and encourage you in your walk with Jesus books and DVDs at swrc.com. Your favorite authors and teachers helping bring clarity to the chaos. With free shipping on all orders over $100, be sure and visit swrc.com today. A free resource I hope everyone will sign up for is our Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter, which is delivered to your inbox each week with messages from Dr. Larry Spargimino and the latest on new resources and conferences. Sign up today at swrc.com and start receiving a Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter. Dr. Larry Spargimino continues now to lay out why preterism, the belief that all Bible prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD, is not only wrong, but dangerous. There is an end-time view known as preterism, which teaches that all Bible prophecies were fulfilled in A.D. 70. Preterists believe that the book of Revelation is just symbolic. Is the second coming of Jesus Christ the blessed hope or a blasted hoax? Joining me today to answer that question and talk about preterism is Dr. Larry Spargimino. He's written a tremendous book that refutes preterism. Dr. Spargimino, thanks again for sitting down with me to talk about this important subject. Great to be with you. Well, we were talking last time a little bit about replacement theology and how once you studied Bible prophecy, you came to see that replacement theology was wrong and contrary to what the Bible teaches. How do you feel when you hear Christians today speak about Judea and Samaria and call it occupied territory? Well, James, that is certainly a misnomer. The Jews are not occupiers of the land populated by Palestinians. How can Judea and Samaria be called occupied territories when the land was given to Israel by God? For people who profess to be Christians and who read and claim to know the Bible to call Judea and Samaria occupied territory is flat wrong. There never has been a Palestinian land, capital, or culture. The idea of a Palestinian state embracing Judea and Samaria is like having squatters on your farm and then being compelled to deed the land over to them. And if you refuse, how would you like it if people claim that you were not showing the squatters justice? Oh, those poor squatters. It's ridiculous. Replacement theologians give the word Israel another meaning than what it means in the Bible. They replace Israel with the church. In the Bible, Israel means Israel. It never means the church, the elect of God, or all the people of God, Jew and Gentile, right? Yeah, well, I've looked up every reference in the Bible where the word Israel is used, and our listeners can do the same, and it never means church or all the people of God. I would encourage anyone who has any doubts about that, to go through the New Testament and to replace the word Israel with the church or even the Old Testament and see if it fits. I guarantee it does not fit. Israel never means church. For example, in Acts 1, verse 6, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, Israel means Israel. It's not interchangeable with the church. He's not going to restore the kingdom to the church. It never was lost in, in Romans 11, 2. 
Scripture talks about how Elijah, quote, maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets. Once again, Israel means Israel. It cannot mean church here. In every case, the meaning of the word Israel is specific and precise. Replacement theologians have taken a very simple and plain word and twisted it beyond recognition. This is a sad example, James, of redefining a word so that it fits one's personal theological bias. That is not a legitimate approach to the Bible. God's promises to Israel are eternal. Amen. Let's look at some specific prophetic scriptures, Dr. Spargimino. Preterists claim that Revelation 1 verse 7 means Jerusalem and Judea in the first century and nothing else. They say that it was fulfilled many years ago. Do you agree? I certainly don't. Let me read that verse, and then we will look at it more closely. The verse says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Now, that cannot be limited to Judea and Samaria. Contrary to preterism, these words have a universal scope. Every eye doesn't mean every eye in Jerusalem. The text speaks of all kindreds of the earth. That doesn't mean all kindreds in Jerusalem and Judea. We want to notice how all kindreds is used in Revelation 5.9, for example. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The atonement has a universal effect. Kindreds is broad as the effects of Christ's atonement for the sins of the world. There are other scriptures that are exceedingly broad in scope and effect. For example, Matthew 24, 22 says this, and Jesus is speaking. He says, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Now, a simple reading of this verse indicates that it is speaking of a worldwide disaster. It will affect people in North America, Europe, Asia, Africa, and elsewhere. But the preterist objections say, oh, no, 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 you've got it wrong. No flesh means no flesh in Jerusalem and Judea. Really? You're shocked. Scripture is very emphatic. Let's face it, flesh is a broad term. For example, Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now, is the text saying no flesh in Jerusalem and Judea will be justified by keeping the law, but everyone else will be justified by keeping the law? Of course not. 1 Corinthians 1.29 is similar, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, friends, does that mean that no one living in Jerusalem and Judea in the first century should glory in God's presence, but that everyone else should? So obviously, when you look at these universal terms, every eye, all over the world, on and on, it's clear that this whole idea of preterism just restricts the scripture and cuts the guts out of it. It means nothing. That's what they've done. Well, it really seems to me that the preterists miss the whole point of the Olivet Discourse. Jesus does not say that God abandons Israel, but that he deliberately shortens that time of woe for the very sake of Israel, correct? Yes, that's a great observation because, for example, in Matthew 24, 22, Jesus says, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Notice the words no flesh, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So God is doing something special for the sake of his elect in this context, meaning Israel. The Olivet Discourse does not predict Israel's ultimate doom. It predicts Israel's final deliverance. For example, 
In Matthew 24, verses 15 through 21, the Lord Jesus speaks about great trouble for Israel. He speaks about the abomination of desolation, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, verse 21. So Jesus is saying, it's going to get really bad. You won't believe how really bad it's going to get, but he doesn't stop there. And except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. In other words, Satan's attempt to completely destroy God's covenant people will fail. Jews living in the time of the abomination of desolation will endure until the Messiah comes for their final deliverance. And this is brought out in Luke 21, 24. It says, in Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, it's not permanent. The trotting down by Gentiles has an ending point. And so with these words, Jesus is revealing three important things. First of all, Jerusalem's fall is of a limited duration. It's not final, nor is it complete. Secondly, there's a period of time when Gentiles will overrun Jerusalem and dominate the city and people. Thirdly, there will be a later time when this situation will be reversed. The Lord drives home his point, and he says this, and when these things come to pass, then look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. It's your redemption. It's not your destruction. What happened under the Romans in AD 70 was destruction, not redemption. In its zeal to discredit Bible prophecy, preterism has ignored the central point of the Olivet Discourse, that is, that God will preserve and deliver his people. All of this is critical. James, to another important point, you know, Matthew 24, 34 is a time text that preterists used to club their opponents. After speaking about apocalyptic events, Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Now, what was Jesus saying? Was he saying that the generation that Jesus was addressing during his earthly ministry in Israel 2,000 years ago would see the things he just referenced and that their fulfillment was to be in the immediate future 2,000 years ago? Well, that's what preterists would like us to conclude. And because they missed the promise aspect of the Olivet Discourse, they think it is the right conclusion. But that's not what Jesus is saying. His point the generation that sees the signs signaling the return of the Lord will be miraculously preserved to see the Lord. When the signs appear, prophetic events will proceed very quickly. In other words, the Olivet Discourse is speaking about the nearness of the second coming of Christ to the signs and that the Lord has been describing in this discourse. So the generation that sees these signs will also see the Lord. It is this generation that will not pass away till everything is fulfilled. If you're just tuning in today, I'm talking with Dr. Larry Spargimino about his book available right now. You can get a copy by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. The book refutes the end-time belief of preterism. Dr. Spargimino, doesn't the word generation, genia, also have a, a qualitative sense to it? In other words, it is referencing the nature and quality of a people. James, that's a great observation because preterists argue as if this generation always means Jesus' contemporaries. But the fact is, Jesus uses it in a qualitative sense many times to describe the character of a people. For example, in Matthew 17, 17, Jesus says, O faithless and perverse generation. In Matthew 12, 39, he speaks about an evil and adulterous generation. In Acts 2, verse 40, Peter speaks of a crooked generation. 
Now, I found that preterists will interpret the Bible in the light of their belief system rather than forming their belief system on the basis of the Bible. As in the study of any subject, one's methodology often determines your conclusions. If your methodology is faulty, your conclusions will always be faulty. It seems that there are some passages in the prophetic scriptures that are so obviously future that it is impossible literally to claim that the passage was fulfilled in the past. What about the war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39? Surely preterists don't claim that that war has already occurred in the past, do they? Well, unbelievably, Gary D. Moore and James Jordan do find a past fulfillment for Ezekiel 38 and 39. Can you imagine? They say that the attempted genocide of the Jews by Haman in the 5th century B.C. fulfilled Ezekiel's prophecy concerning Gog and Magog. Hey, man, this is wild. Ezekiel says that Gog's vast army will be utterly defeated in the land of Israel by a great earthquake, sword, pestilence, and torrential rains and hailstones and fire and sulfur. However, Haman never took a vast army into the land of Israel. And the Jews slaughtered their enemies with swords throughout the provinces of Persia without a single mention of an earthquake, rain, hail, or fire from the sky. So this is what I just pointed out. It is a case of interpreting Scripture in the light of your belief system. When your belief system is so strong that it doesn't matter what the text of the Bible says, you are pointed in the wrong direction, you better turn around because you're going in the wrong direction. Your belief system has a shovel and it's bearing the words of Scripture. A text of Scripture becomes a pretext to justify your belief system. This is the Word of God. We have to have some respect for the Word of God, and especially when it speaks of the end times. So I really think this is serious. Ideas have consequences. Theologies are ideas. Preterism is, in fact, an idea. What do you think are the consequences of believing preterism? Well, brother, I am so glad that you asked that question. You know, I've often wondered why there are so many Christians today who have no zeal for the Lord and for sharing their faith. You know, we seem to be in a Laodicean age. Not only do multitudes of Christians have no zeal for the Lord, they seem totally unaware of the fact that we are living in a day like no other. The uniqueness of our present day is overlooked and even minimized. How can preterists, for example, overlook the way technology has changed our way of living? Bible prophecy does speak about technology and its effects, but because of the erroneous belief that there's no prophecy, preterists completely miss it. I firmly believe that when a person with a preterist mindset looks at all that is happening in the modern world, that person makes no connection with biblical prophecy because their fundamental presupposition is that there's no prophecy. If your presupposition is that there are no snakes in the grass, when you see a snake in the grass, you'll say, well, something other than a snake. You know, several years ago, there was a man by the name of Richard Obanis. He wrote a book titled End Time Visions. Unbelievably, he totally discounted the destructive power of modern warfare and does not realize that civilization, as we know it, could come to an end in a flash. Abanus argues, I want to quote him, that there is no significant trend upward in the number of wars or their severity or magnitude, close quotes. Now, there's absolutely no, no way that we could justify that statement, unless, of course, you're a preterist. Everything is the same. Nothing has changed. We're no closer to the end because there's no end. The current spiritual malaise in the church today is one of the sad fruits of preterism. We are stuck 
in a preterist time warp. That's why people are half asleep. That's why people don't say anything about our crazy leaders and about the left. They think, well, it'll pass. No, a symptom of this malaise is that Christians don't turn out and vote. Oh, I don't get involved in politics. That's the common statement that we hear. It's a reflection of the erroneous belief that politics is some kind of otherworldly ethereal pursuit that has nothing to do with life. But just remember, some of the things that are profoundly affected by politics, what kind of a country you will live in, what will your kids be taught in school, or whether or not parents will be free to choose their child's school, whether or not you will be allowed to own property, whether or not you will be forced to pay for things you are opposed to, like abortion, whether or not you and your family will be safe, how much taxes you will pay, whether or not you will be free to reject experimental vaccines that may produce neurodegenerative disease. Don't tell me that politics do not matter or that everything is the same. So, is Abanus right in his assessment that there's no significant trend upward in the number of wars or their severity? Well, listen to this. On May the 12th, 1951, newspapers around the world reported the following, quote, the explosive equivalent of several million tons of TNT was released here today on the tiny atoll of Eniwetok as scientists of the Atomic Energy Commission detonated the world's first thermonuclear device, the H-bomb. Don't tell me that wars are not any more severe than they've ever been. We've got an H-bomb now. We've got missile systems. The Russians, the Chinese have hypersonic missiles. Everything is the same. I don't believe any of that. Those are much more severe weapons than bows and arrows and spears, I think. <laughs> uh, Dr. Sparger, we know now preterism has a totally wrong view of the kingdom of God and of its initiation. There can't be a kingdom without the king being present. Am I right? Absolutely. You see, according to the Bible, it is the return of Christ to earth that brings about the destruction of the kingdom of man. The kingdom in its glory will not be established until after Christ returns. Hence, his return is premillennial. Now, let me give you a scripture. Daniel 2, 34 and 35 tells us of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So the kingdom is not established by a gradual process of infiltration and permeation, but by a sudden and devastating blow. In Revelation 19:11, we read this, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Then verse 19 tells us that it is the visible return of Christ to earth that overpowers, quote, the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him. So yes, the kingdom will not come until the king arrives. And when he arrives, that's when righteousness will be seen on the earth. I think as a believer, Bible prophecy gives me hope. God warns his people through Bible prophecy, and we need to thank God for Bible prophecy, right? I agree. Bible prophecy, as understood from a futurist perspective, gives us great insight into the present times. It is God's perspective of what is going on. Bible prophecy needs to be steadied. We need to thank God for it, not deny that it even exists. Bible prophecy reminds us that things are not falling apart, but falling into place. Bible prophecy reveals the plan of God and demands our surrender to the God who knows the end from the beginning, according to Isaiah 46.10, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So preterism is both deaf and mute 
regarding things of today because it says nothing about today. Prophecy allegedly talks about history. That occurred in times past. Preterism is good for lessons about ancient history. That's all. Hey, don't we want more? Do you think God is silent about the massive world upheavals occurring right now? As a matter of fact, recent surveys show that blue states want their governments to restrict them in a pandemic. In future pandemics, progressives will tolerate more control. Those who don't think the government has the divine right to control everything we do will be regarded as criminals. Compliant people are good people. They're willing to be confined to their homes by governments. Governments have started to warn people against face-to-face sexual intimacy on Valentine's Day unless you are wearing a government-approved face mask. Amazing. Thanks again for being with me, Pastor Larry. Dr. Larry Spargimito makes his case against the belief that all Bible prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD in his book entitled Preterism on Trial. Every pastor, Christian leader, and informed believer needs to read this insightful analysis and thoroughly documented study of the leaders and teachings of what could be the most significant trend in these last days. Preterism on Trial by Dr. Larry Spargimino. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Marvin McIlvaney has today's Bible in the News Report, which looks at some things that you and I both know are bogus. We read in Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet for him. And then we skip down to verse 21. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, Whoa! This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. When Adam says bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, what he's saying is she's like me. She doesn't have bones like a fish or no bones at all like a shark or an eel. She has bones like Adam, and she has flesh like Adam, not skin like a llama, all hairy and matted, but smooth, soft skin. That's the way it was from the beginning. They were two of the same creature, but one was male and one was female, just like all the other creatures the Lord had made, male and female, so that they could create offspring just like themselves, just like cats have kittens and sheep have lambs, People have people. You're probably thinking, gee, that's really interesting, but why are you going on and on about something so elementary? I'm glad you asked. There's a guy in Florida who says deep down inside himself, he is a woman. Okay, fine. If he wants to wear women's clothes and shoes and fix his hair and nails, you know, like a woman, great. But there's lots of people who do not want to pretend that you are a woman because you're not. You're a man acting like a woman. This man-woman is named Leah Thomas. He, she, Thomas became the first transgender athlete to win a Division I national championship. 
Michael Phelps is a former competitive swimmer. He is the most successful and most decorated Olympian of all time, with a total of 28 medals. Of those, 23 are gold medals. Michael Phelps said, Biologically, Leah holds an unfair advantage over the competition in the women's category, as evidenced by her rankings that have bounced from being number 462 as a male to number one as a female. That's quite a bounce. Florida will recognize the winner of the 500-yard women's freestyle, and it's not Leah Thomas. Governor Ron DeSantis took to Twitter to recognize one of the state's residents as the true winner of the event and issued a proclamation to that effect. Quote, By allowing men to compete in women's sports, the NCAA is destroying opportunities for women, making a mockery of its championships and perpetuating a fraud, Mr. DeSantis said. In Florida, we reject these lies and recognize Sarasota's Emma Wayant as the best women swimmer in the 500-yard freestyle. I guess Governor DeSantis is not going to pretend that Leah Thomas is just like all the other girls. How far does this madness go? How about the upper echelon of our government? A recent Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown-Jackson, was asked by the United States Senate Judiciary Committee member Marsha Blackburn about transgender issues. Blackburn asked, Do you agree that schools should teach children that they can choose their gender? Jackson's answer was, I'm not making comments about what schools can teach. The late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote, quote, Physical differences between men and women are enduring. Again, Blackburn asked Jackson, Do you agree with Justice Ginsburg that there are physical differences between men and women that are enduring? Jackson's response, uh, Senator, respectfully, I'm not familiar with that particular quote. Blackburn asked another question, Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Jackson's answer, can I provide a definition? No, I can't. You can't, Blackburn asked. I'm not a biologist, Jackson replied. If I was Senator Blackburn, I would have said, can you define planet? You're not an astronomer. Can you define rock? You're not a geologist. What Senator Blackburn did say was, do you believe the meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Blackburn then said, the fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about, close quotes. Katanji Brown Jackson wants to sit on the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court. If you can't provide a definition of the word woman, how can you protect women's rights? We read in Daniel 7.25 that the Antichrist would speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. Our laws and our men and women who sit on the high court are certainly changing the times and the laws. Again, we read in 1 John 2.18, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. I submit to you that John is correct. There are many Antichrists, and we know that it is the last time. The spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in our country, 
I pray that America will wake up and smell the burning lake of fire. Preterism on Trial by Dr. Larry Spargimino. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, author and pastor Greg Patton talks about something that invades all of our lives sooner or later. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.